0: We continue our worship as Allison comes to read the scripture today.
1: Good morning. Exodus 32, 7 through 14. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said these are your gods O Israel who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and the Lord said to Moses I have seen these people and behold it is a stiff-necked people now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. The word of the Lord.
0: Thank you, Alison. And thank you all for being here today at River Oaks. Welcome to our church. Welcome also to those of you joining us online. Great to have you with us on this second Sunday of the new year. And we're beginning our year by talking about prayer. Before we get into our message, I'd like to ask you to take a look at the screens for a moment at what we call our vision frame. I think of the vision frame as a a window frame through which we look into the future. And in the future, we have what we call our Vision 2025. Our Vision 2025 is about a page long document that paints a picture of what we Believe the Lord would have our church look like uh, in roughly three years from now. Our vision 2025 is a discipleship driven, outreach focused vision for the extension of God's kingdom through the ministry of His church here at River Oaks. But today I'd like to call your attention to the values on the left side of the frame, and particularly the second one down prayer fuel. Now, the word fueled implies that things happen as a result of prayer, just like a a car won't move very far without fuel. So God has chosen to use the prayers of his people to move forward, to further the work of his kingdom. At the top of the frame, you see the marks of maturity in the lives of those who are walking with God, and one of those is devotion to praying. You know, the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians chapter 4 calls us really in an imperative form, commands us to be devoted to prayer. So as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, that's that's our calling, to be devoted to prayer. And this year, it's my hope that the Holy Spirit will so work in our church as to raise the level of prayer amongst us as individuals and among couples who are married praying together as couples in your marriages, uh, as families praying together in our small groups, that God will work significantly to raise the level of prayer in our church. And one of the things we're doing this year to try to help with that is providing a very short little daily podcast called Building a Life of Prayer. It's just four and a half minutes, but we're going to go through prayer everywhere in the Bible started this last Monday. It's only weekdays. A couple people have already asked me this morning, what about on on Sundays? It's only weekdays, Monday to Friday. But the Lord willing, we'll continue through the whole year looking at every prayer and reference to prayer and teaching about prayer of any length or significance in the Bible in the hope to, to become more devoted to prayer as God calls us to be. So we're excited about that. And with that in mind, we've begun a series this month simply called God Created Prayer. And we're looking at examples from the Old Testament, the early chapters of the Bible of prayer and what God is teaching us about prayer. And today we're going to look at the example of Moses. There are few people in the Bible who were used as greatly in intercessory prayer. And by that I mean praying for, for others as was Moses. And it is remarkable in the passage that Allison just read for us what the the prayer of this one individual uh, was used to do. But first a little bit of background before we dig into this prayer prayed by Moses. Moses was born a Hebrew. He was born in Egypt to parents who were Hebrew slaves. But it happened that Moses was actually raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Later in life, Moses was called by God to lead the Israelites out of their slavery in Egypt. And at this time, uh, scholars estimate the the number of uh, Hebrews was in the hundreds of thousands, a very large group of people. God used Moses to go before Pharaoh and proclaimed that he was to let God's people go God used Moses to bring about plagues on Egypt to to force Pharaoh to let God's people go. God used Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt through the parting of the Red Sea and many signs and wonders in leading them toward the promised land. However, as Moses quickly discovered, the Israelites proved to be incredibly rebellious, disobedient, hard-hearted, and prone to idolatry, and prone to rejecting the leadership of Moses. And as we're reading through the Old Testament book of Exodus, we find Moses going before God, getting the Ten Commandments to give to the Israelites, getting other laws and instructions to give to them. And in Exodus chapter 31, he's on Mount Sinai, getting this instruction for the people. But then at the very beginning of Exodus chapter 2, we read these words that precede the prayer we heard just a moment ago. When the people, that is the people of Israel, the Hebrews, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know What has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. Now, can you believe Aaron did this? Aaron was Moses' brother. He was supposed to be his biggest supporter. He would ultimately be a leader among priests for God's people. And they said, these are your gods O Israel who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Not the Lord God, this this golden calf. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Can you believe this? Here Moses had gotten the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Right here, it seems to me they're breaking commandments 1, 2, and 3. The first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. And they say, okay, this is who brought you out of Egypt, this golden calf. You shall make, not make a graven image or a carved image. You shall not worship it or bow down to it. And that's exactly what they did. They made a graven image. Aaron did that. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Number three. But what did Aaron say? Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And he uses the divine name, the name Yahweh. This is maybe the worst thing Aaron does. Well, it's all bad. But he says, we're, we're worshiping the Lord by worshiping this gold calf. Unbelievable. They may have broken more of the Ten Commandments. When the scripture says they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, the word that's the Hebrew word used there is used elsewhere in the Old Testament. And let's just say it doesn't mean playing softball or soccer. There are, it insinuates some immorality there. Well, what's God's response to this? Moses is still on Mount Sinai with God while this is happening. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way I commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. That means they're resistant to God, they're hard-hearted, they won't bow the head, they're stiff-necked, they won't honor the Lord, so God makes an offer to Moses. God says, now therefore let me alone. It's as if God is saying, don't stop me from doing this, Moses. He says, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. So it's a crisis point. Uh, and Moses does here what Moses always does. He goes to God in prayer. One person praying before the Lord God for hundreds of thousands of people and their very much deserved destruction. Oh, God makes an offer let me alone. I'll consume them. I'll make a great nation of you. The next words out of Moses' mouth are a prayer to God. And I'd like to look at Moses' prayer this morning, raising the question what can you and I learn from Moses' prayer? What do we learn from Moses' prayer? The first thing is that we should align our prayer with God's purposes. Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? It seems that Moses gave no thought whatsoever to God's offer to make a great nation of him. It seems like Moses didn't even consider that for a second, the possibility of starting over with him leading a great nation. No thought to it, no selfish ambition in this humble leader Moses. He was more concerned with God's purposes than his own position. Now God had said to Moses, your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. But Moses praised to God, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Moses is going back to God's original purpose, God's design, and praying, Lord, this is your purpose. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Moses is praying for the unfolding of God's big picture plan in history for his people. The Israelites seemed like a hopeless case. I mean, they really did seem like it. Can you imagine Aaron? He's making the golden calf, they're bowing down toward it. It's almost unbelievable. They seem like a hopeless case, but Moses does not give up. Have you ever prayed for someone who seemed like a hopeless case and been tempted to give up and just say, it's just not going to happen? I have. I have people I've prayed for for decades and they've gotten no closer to the Lord it seems like they've gotten further away. And sometimes I've thought when I was about to pray for them, eh, this, is not, this is not happening, It's just not going to happen. Maybe somebody who's been, been struggling with addiction and falls and comes out and falls and comes back and falls and comes back, and you think, well, why not just give up? Somebody whose resistance to God gets worse and worse and worse. When we think that way, Remember Moses. Remember God's big picture plan, his purpose. Persevere in praying for God's purposes. We learn from Moses that our prayer should align with God's purposes, even over our own ambitions. Secondly, we learn this from Moses' prayer, that our prayer should be shaped by a desire for God's honor. The very next sentence, Moses says, Why should the Egyptians say... With evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth. Moses is now appealing to God's honor, to his reputation before the unbelieving world. He's saying, God, what will the unbelieving Egyptians say if you do this? What will they think of you? What about your name? What about your reputation? What about your honor? If the first part of his prayer was, thy kingdom come, thy will be done... This part of the prayer is, hallowed be your name. Remember your name. Let your name be held in honor. When you and I pray for someone or something, it is always good to let our prayers be guided by a desire for God's honor, God's name, the great name of the Lord we sang about just a few minutes ago. This is good to pray for when you, you pray for uh, people who are far from God, maybe you pray for for the, the place you work, your co-workers, the company where you work, for God's name to be honored there. Certainly when we pray for our nation, we should be praying for God's name to be honored in this nation. And boy, do we need to do that. In our nation, where there's so much creation about everything from God's uh, created order to His will being done, where his name is blasphemed. Let's pray beyond political preferences for the honor of God's name. That God's name be honored in our nation. Then other things will fall in line. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So we pray for God's purposes. We pray for the honor of his name. Thirdly, what do we learn from Moses' prayer? We learn that our prayer can acknowledge God's justice while appealing to his mercy. Moses prays, "Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people." Notice this: Moses did not try to minimize the Israelite sin. He didn't try to minimize what they'd done. He knew it was horrific. He didn't defend them. He didn't appeal on the basis of any merit on their part and say, "God, you know they're really not so bad." <laughs> he didn't offer excuses. He asked a holy God to save the unholy. He asked the pure and perfect, sinless, omnipotent God to save the ungodly. Moses was one person in relationship with God standing before the Lord to turn away his wrath from hundreds of thousands of people and God relented from his anger and the disaster that he had spoken against bringing on his people, so significant is Moses' prayer in this place that years later the writer of Psalm 106 would give us an inspired commentary about this event. Psalm 106 reads: I'm um, just a few verses out of the middle of the psalm. Read this way: They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a golden, a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt. Therefore, he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them? Moses, one person standing before Almighty God, standing in the breach, standing in the gap, praying for Hundreds of thousands of people. Moses was a remarkable servant of the Lord. He was only human. He had his sins like we all do. had his weaknesses, his fears, his anger, and his struggle. We learn that as we read the Bible. But God used the prayer of one person in this remarkable event. Moses... I believe, was a type of Christ. And what I mean by that is that in some ways, Moses represented Christ and pointed to what Christ would do. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, we get a bit more insight into this. The New Testament book of Hebrews is focused on the superiority of God's new covenant with us in Jesus over the old covenant, the superiority, of the, the superiority of the gospel over the law, the superiority of Jesus over angels and Old Testament sacrifices and priests and practices, and yes, even Moses, who was held in such high esteem by the Hebrews, the superiority of Jesus. We read these words in Hebrews. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, is much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And see what the writer's saying here. Jesus is God, God the Son, the Son of God, the builder of all things. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. Moses, one mere human being, stood before God in the breach as an intercessor to pray for the Israelites. Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, become human, stood before God the Father as the great intercessor. He stood in the breach for all of sinful humanity. And Jesus did what Moses could not do. Jesus bore God's wrath upon himself. As the apostle Paul says, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. Jesus took the just judgment of God so we could receive God's mercy. Christ obtained this for us. Moses appealed to God's mercy. Jesus obtained God's mercy and the gift of righteousness for us through his own sacrifice and suffering. But in many ways, Moses as an intercessor points us to the great intercessor, the one who even today, the Bible says, always lives to make intercession for us, Jesus. So what do we learn from Moses' prayer? One, we should align our Prayer with God's purposes. Two, we should align our prayer with a desire for God's honor. And then thirdly, our prayer can acknowledge God's justice, his rightness, his righteousness, while at the same time appealing to God for his mercy. Because because of Jesus and what he has done, the book of James tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment. Finally, what can we learn from Moses' prayer we should base our prayer upon God's Word. As Moses draws to the end of his prayer, here's what he says to the Lord. He's standing before God, interceding for all these hundreds of thousands of rebellious Israelites. And he says to God, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Jacob, his name was changed to Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, quote, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Moses said, Lord, remember what you said, quote, one of the greatest ways for you and me to pray is to pray according to God's promises one of the greatest ways to strengthen our praying is to pray God's promises. By that I mean to find applicable verses of Scripture and to use that Scripture in your prayer. I'll give you a few examples in in just a minute here. But first, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are eternally related to him. The Bible says that he always lives to make intercession for us. As his followers, if you are a Christian, if you've embraced Jesus, part of your calling is a calling to be an intercessor, to pray for other people. That's why the Apostle Paul says to every Christian, devote yourselves to praying. That's why the Apostle Paul says to every believer in Ephesians chapter 6 to take the whole armor of God, and part of that armor is this, praying always with all prayer and intercession for all the saints. This is for everybody. It's for you and me to stand before God and to pray for others. We said last week that intercessory prayer can be understood like this, and you'll see this on the screen. God has chosen to use the prayers of those who walk with Him to work in the lives of those who don't yet walk with Him. That might be somebody in your own family, somebody you work with, uh, somebody in your neighborhood. God has chosen to use the prayers of those who walk with Him to work in the lives who do not walk with Him. God chose to use the prayers of, of Moses. And throughout the Bible, the people who enjoyed the closest communion with God, the closest fellowship with God, the closest walk with God, throughout the Bible, there were people who prayed much. And much of their prayer was spent praying for God's work in the lives of other people. So as we draw toward a close, I want to raise two questions by way of personal application. The first one is this. Am I walking with God? That's the first requirement for having a ministry of intercessory prayers, to be walking with God yourself. This is more than belief in the existence of God and the existence of Jesus. You know, the Bible says the devil believes in God. The devil believes in Jesus and trembles and knows that he is real. What I'm saying here is Jesus your Lord Is he in the driver's seat of your life? Have you not only believed in him and believed that he died on the cross for you, but but turning from sin and turning from your own rule in your own life, have you turned to his rule in your life and said, Jesus, I'll follow you. I wanna walk with you. Am I walking with God? And then secondly, how is God calling me to pray for others, family, friends, neighbors. I mentioned that I would give you a few suggestions on some scriptures to pray, and I I find that uh, memorizing verses, or, or at least making note of verses that you can use in prayer, is one of the best ways to strengthen prayer. If you're looking for a prayer book, this is the best prayer book that's ever been written. It's the Bible. It's the Word of God. And you'll find that people like Moses in Scripture often used God's promises in praying. You can use the Word of God in prayer. The book of Psalms, it largely consists of prayers and praises and laments to God. These are all forms of prayer. It's, it's a prayer book. And so as we learn to use Scripture to guide our praying, I think our praying will get all the more, or more rich. But here's some verses... When, when praying for someone else. You're praying for somebody's salvation. Let's say you've got a mother or father, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, somebody who, who doesn't know Jesus, somebody you work with and you want to pray for their salvation. There are lots of verses you could pray. This is one of my favorites. It uh, comes from the Apostle Paul. He is, is telling of his commission that God gave him to go to the Gentiles Uh, to open their eyes. In other words, he says, I was sent to preach the gospel, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This was God speaking to Paul. But you and I can use that in our praying. We pray for people who don't know the Lord. We can pray, Lord, open their eyes, open their spiritual eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Praying for someone's salvation. As we often do in our church, we pray for one another at our prayer tables in the back or, or uh, when we have people come and anoint people with oil, we pray for people for healing, as James says to do. Uh, James 5 and verse 16, we're told to pray for one another that, that we may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person has great power is it's working what about prayer for marriage if you're married you probably have discovered that I have that we need prayer for our own marriages uh, everybody, everybody I don't believe anybody who's married never has any uh, contention or strife or struggle in marriage I've sometimes had people imply to me they never have an argument never have a disagreement never have strife in their house I just don't believe them Somebody tells me that, I just want to say, I think you're a liar. I just think you're a liar. I've been married long enough to know. Married to a Christian, by the way. Um, It's challenging, challenging. So pray these verses for your own marriage. Pray them for your friends who are going through marital difficulties they're, they're not verses written specifically for marriage. They're verses written specifically for any Christian. But Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In the humility count others more significant than yourselves. Uh-oh, that's a hard one in a marriage that we need to pray for the fulfillment. Start Don't just pray with your wife or your husband and say, Lord, do this in his life. (laughs) Do it in my life. Do it in my life first, Lord. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. From Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. You're praying for yourself to be a better wife, to be a better husband, to be a better parent, father, mother, better uh, employ, better employer. These are wonderful verses to pray for ourselves. And of course, Ephesians 5 and verse 33, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We pray, Lord, help me to do this. Help me to do this. Lord, make this a reality in my life. What about verses to pray for your children? Those of you who are raising children or have children who are, uh, have been raised, these are verses I like to pray for my own children. I like to pray Psalm 90 for uh, our church, um, for the, the next generation of our church. Psalm 90 is a, is a prayer. It's titled A Prayer of Moses. And out of the 150 Psalms, it's the only one that has Moses' name attached to it. It's a phenomenal psalm. I love Psalm 90. And uh, the second to the last verse of the psalm in Moses' prayer says, Let your work be shown to your servants in your glorious power to their children. Pray that for our church, that God would do such a mighty work here and show the power of his Holy Spirit here in a greater measure than we've seen before. And that this especially will be shown to our children, our students, that they would see God's power. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Wonderful verse to pray for your children, for your grandchildren, by the way. The book of Deuteronomy tells us not only to teach our children, but our children's children, which speaks to grandparents having an influence in their children's lives as well. I love Psalm 102 and verse 28. And this is a a verse I pray for my children. And now that our children are are, are having kids, I pray for their kids too. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Meaning, I believe, they'll know you. They'll walk with you. They'll find security in you. They'll be secure in you, Lord. Verses to pray for our nation. There are plenty of them in the Bible. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and that's what we've been talking about we've looked at Moses' prayer, and thanksgivings, forms of prayer, be made for all people, kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So that's the end result, living in our nation, a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, but the condition is that the people of God pray for people in high positions. So it really puts a huge responsibility on the church for what happens in a nation, on the church to pray. Likewise, in the Old Testament, God puts a significant responsibility on his own people for what happens in a nation. If my people who are called by my name, my people called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. So when the land needs healing, My people, who are called by my name, have something to do. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, Psalm 33 says. So these are just a few examples. As you study scripture, find verses that you know you need to to pray, um, make note of them, learn them, memorize them, incorporate them. Uh, incorporate them into your prayer life, I think it can enrich your prayer. Remember, Moses prayed according to God's word. May God make us people who are devoted to prayer. And may God make us a church that is prayer-fueled so that we see a greater work of the Holy Spirit in and through our church. That's my hope. That's my prayer. My prayer this year is that if if you're married and you're not praying with your spouse, this be the time you start praying with your spouse. I'm not just talking about saying a blessing at dinner or when you put a child to bed, but praying for one another, taking 5, 10, 15 minutes, praying for each other for the will of God in your marriage, for guidance in your decisions, for strength in your marriage. There's a great power in that. If you're not having a personal devotional time, that this would be the year for that. Uh, more praying in groups with groups of other people. My hope this would happen this year in our church. Would you join me as we pray right now? Father, unless you build the house, we labor in vain. Jesus, you said apart from you, we can do nothing. But how, you thank, how we thank you that because of your grace, Because you chose us to be your own, we're not apart from you. Please pour out your spirit upon us in a greater measure. As we're praying right now, rather than just listening to me pray, would you just take a moment to open your own heart to the Lord and ask him to do a deeper work in you by the Holy Spirit? Lord, create growing desire in us for the working of your power to make us a people who long to walk closely with you under your lordship, who enjoy praying. We pray for a revitalization in our prayer lives, for a deeper work of your spirit to empower our praying, and that we would find that because we enjoy fellowship with you, we enjoy praying. Make us people who are devoted to prayer. Make us a church that is prayer-fueled. Fill us, Holy Spirit, we pray. Fill us, we pray, in Jesus' holy name. Lord, before we stop praying, we want to join together and pray for our nation. Would you heal our land? Would you do a work in your people so that we would humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, Lord? Pour out your Spirit upon us. In Jesus' name. Amen.